Hello and welcome back to Success and Sweet Tea with Doug and Vicki Miles. This is part two of their intriguing interview with Trippy McGuire. They invite you to go back and listen to part one in the previous episode if you haven't already. In the meantime, they will continue their visit with Trippy right where they left off as he begins to tell everyone about his new historical nonfiction book about murder, mayhem, and intrigue in Covington County, Alabama. Traditions are sacred in the South. The Masters, SEC football, and fried chicken anytime. Now, add one more. Pull up a chair, fix your glass, and get ready for some good old-fashioned Southern charm. Welcome to Success in Sweet Tea, a podcast dedicated to your success in business, lifestyle, and relationships, all with a shot of Southern magic. And now... Coming to you from deep in the heart of the Southland. Get ready for an engaging conversation with your new favorite Southern couple, Doug and Vicki Miles. And I was fascinated by the story that some of the old timers told me. Op became big as a cotton mill town. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Op cotton mill started, I think, about 1920, and the Mycoas cotton mill started about 1923. Mycolas stood for Mizell, Cole, and Douglas. Those were the three ones that started it. Uh, Mr. Cole was the supervisor of both mills, superintendent of both of the mills. He was murdered by his secretary's husband. Uh, There's a story somewhere. There was a story. And the secretary's husband was found not guilty. And my mentor... uh, Mr. Abner Powell, Jr., his dad represented uh, Mr. Childry, who had shot and killed Mr. Cole. And Mr. Powell's dad represented him at the murder trial, the biggest murder trial in the history of the county at that I'm time, because sure. Mr. Cole, being superintendent of the mills, was a big man, very important man, whom everybody knew of, if they didn't know him in person. Anyway, he was found not, Mr. Childry was found not guilty. And Mr. Powell told me the reason why he was found not guilty was because of the unwritten law. Unwritten law, what what is that? He said, well, it was not a law in writing. Back then, juries were all male. And there was an understanding among the male jurors about the unwritten law that if a man trifled with another man's wife, then it was justifiable homicide to kill the trifle. And so I started writing about this because I was, I found old newspaper articles and it said that Mr. Childry, the one who shot him, the killer, the killer's wife, who was the secretary to the deceased, she testified at her husband's trial on how Mr. Cole propositioned her, came on to her Mm -hmm. at work and she went home at lunch, told her husband who went and Killed him, and I, I often wondered, was she telling the truth, <laughs> uh, you know, or was she doing that just to save her husband's neck? And so I thought, I'm going to write about this, and uh, you know, I'll, and maybe I can find the answer. I, I, and there's a Facebook page called Growing Up in Op Alabama, started by Jackie Donaldson, a descendant of one of the early Op families. He started this Facebook page. So I started putting it on there one chapter at a time about Winnie Wright, the secretary. Uh, She was called a stenographer back then to call 
Back then, you didn't have female stenographers. Uh, this was in 1919 when she started. Uh, women didn't work outside the home unless they were, number one, a teacher, or number two, the spouse or relative of a store owner, storekeeper. Other than that, women didn't work. Well, this Winnie Wright lady, she, she came to op and she went to work as a stenographer for Mr. Douglas, who was the president of the bank and later became president of the mill and was the AS part of my COAS. Mm -hmm. So for Mr. Douglas, who was an upstanding gentleman, he hired her. Now that was unheard of, because to hire a woman to right. do a man's job, that was unheard of. But Mr. Douglas, I think, was a man ahead of his time. From what I understand, he was a really fine, upstanding Christian gentleman. Probably the equivalent of Melanie in Gone with the Wind who never really judged anybody, loving to everyone, right. everybody loved her. Mr. Douglas was about the same mm -hmm. way, a very kind man, very wealthy, but you wouldn't know it. He mm -hmm. could you know, communicate with princes as well as paupers mm -hmm. and make everybody feel important. Well, um, anyway, he hired her, which was unheard of. But if Mr. Douglas did it, okay, it must be all right. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll take a wait and see, look. And she was in the bank. She would greet folks as they came in. It got to be where she just became as much a part of the bank as the bank itself. Mr. Douglas died, and Charlie Mizell took his place. He kept her as secretary, and she was like family to these people. And she looked up to these men as, as a father's. As the mill grew, they moved her over to the mill because the bank and the mill were closely associated. And she started working for Mr. Cole. But anyway, that's... The book takes you, it's a journey of her life from 1919 to 1932, and even in later years. The murder occurred in 32, and that's when her husband was acquitted, but they had to leave off. He had won the battle but lost the war. Right. Uh, the reputation was ruined. Mm -hmm. uh, even though he was found not guilty, he had killed Mr. Cole, and that was not a good thing, mm -hmm. you know. But uh, I was fascinated by Winnie Wright because she was brave. She uh, wanted to break out of the mold mm -hmm. and did not want to be relegated to a woman, you know, staying in the home. She wanted to get out. She was a flapper. Yeah. You know, the flappers started coming yeah. about in the 1920s, and that was a real exciting time in American history, too. The flappers were unconventional. They were not interested necessarily in getting uh, married right off. They wanted to get educated. They wanted to make money on their own, see the world. You know, you could ride on a train. You could go on a ship cruise. I mean, not many did it, but flappers did. They saved their money. They didn't have a family. So they, what money they made, they could spend on themselves. And um, a lot of the early teachers that came to Ott were flappers, I found out. That's uh, interesting. It really was. Of all places. Yes. Uh, the uh, superintendent, H.N. Lee, Howard Nash Lee, came to Ott as superintendent in 1923. And he hired flappers. Now, they weren't, you know, there were different types of flappers. There was the dance flappers, you yes. know, with the cigarettes and the short yes. skirts. But then there were the ones that wanted to be uh, independent, self-sufficient, see the world, live a little, then later on get married. Marriage was not an urgency. Right. They wanted to do things before they got married. And so Professor Lee, as they call him, the superintendent, wanted to hire Ladies, number one, who were single. That was a requirement. They had to be single. Uh, they had to have gone to a major university, number two. And number three, they had to have 
world experience where they had seen the world. Because the kids in Op, a lot of them were cotton mill kids. He wanted to raise, what would you say, their, their broaden their horizons to where they could see beyond Op, that there was another world we out there. We would call it now a global education. Yes, right, mm-hmm. right. And, uh, and these flappers, he started hiring them. They came in there, and they really changed the course of Op because they all ended up getting married. They raised smart kids. And, uh, you know, it just really added a lot to Op. Uh, and I want to say this, but I don't want to make it sound like the cotton mill wasn't important. It was. The cotton mill folks were good salt-of-the-earth people. Right. Uh, I, had, I was the uh, attorney for the Op Michaelis credit mm-hmm. union. Got to know... I guess several hundred of the cotton mill workers loved them. Great people. I would close their loans when they'd buy a house, mm-hmm. give a mortgage on their property, whatever, and uh, just loved them to death. Broke my heart when the cotton mills closed up and people left. But anyway, that's another story. But anyway, back to the book. Yeah, the book is a story about Winnie Wright, who was a, a flapper way ahead of her time. She worked for some men who were way ahead of their time. And... Uh, it talks about the Roaring Twenties. It talks about women learning to drive cars. She had her own car, which, you know, you just, women didn't do that. No. She did. It didn't, didn't think anything. She wasn't doing it to be rude or brash or anything. It was just her, you know, and when she broke glass ceilings, it was no big deal. This was just who she was, you know. Well, she came to Op, the land of opportunity. Yeah. And yeah. so she made the best of it. Yeah, she, she sure did. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you, you've lived a, really full life down in Op, Alabama. I mean, <laughs> what we've heard today is worthy of somebody that came out of New York or out of London or Chicago. Or well, I came out of Birmingham. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and it was, I had been to Op many times, but it was still a culture shock because uh, it seemed like Margaret and I were the youngest ones there that weren't in high school. And we probably were among the youngest. But I tell you what, uh, I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. Uh, I'm close to the Gulf of Mexico. I'm close to the Florida Springs and the Panhandle. Um, you know, I can go shopping in Op, Andalusia, Enterprise, Montgomery, Dothan. Everything is within uh, an hour and a half. And uh, I've got the closeness of the people of Op. You know, we have a house in Fort Walton Beach. And people said, aren't you going to move down there? I said, well, only if I can take the people of Op down there with me. Because I just, my roots run deep and wide and up, and I just love the place and wouldn't want to live anywhere else. I never look back. Mm-hmm. And you started your political career in op. I did. Uh, so what what was that like? I would assume politics were a little different then than now, or maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, you've, you've seen a lot of action during these mm-hmm. years. Well, politics has changed. It used to be a rough and tumble <laughs> Thing. It's, I think now it's still cleaner. up and tumble. Well, it can be. <laughs> uh, the local politics is clean, but it used, used to be really rough and tumble back mm-hmm. in the day. Mm-hmm. By the time I got involved, things had calmed down quite a bit. I was in law school with Jenny Loggins, and Jenny uh, became the first elected female district attorney in the state. I was already uh, an assistant DA for her predecessor, Grady Lanier, who's a good friend of mine. And then Jeannie uh, won DA, and I stayed on as an assistant DA with her. But I always had my eye on the district judge's office. When I, I told you earlier about my minister forcing me to take right. over the teenage prayer and share group, I just ate up 
working with kids. Mm -hmm. And my favorite uh, course in law school was evidence. That's what you use in the courtroom. And I started thinking, now, how can I combine my love of kids with my love of evidence? I thought, of course, be a juvenile judge. A district judge in Alabama handles juvenile court. And I, that's what I want to be. Mm -hmm. And when my father-in-law recruited me to come to op, it was because an op attorney had become a judge. And I was going to move into the building he was in. Uh, but my goal from the get-go was to be a district judge. And so I always had my eye on the office. And luckily, you know, I was an assistant DA. I tried to close to 100 jury cases. Mm. And from that, you learn what your community expects, what their values are. I mean, we share the same values already, but uh, trying jury cases helps you to hone your skills on the way people think in right. your community. And I had that experience from trying those jury cases. And um, so anyway, when I, when I ran for judge, you know, I was pretty well known just from the cases I'd tried. Um, not that I was some great lawyer, but you know, you try close to 100 jury trials, people get to know you and you get to know them because you remember them from those juries. I'm sure you do. And, uh, but running for office was one of the greatest experiences of my life because well, I got to know the people of the county. Absolutely, but still even today, uh, there's a lot of young politicians that seek you and your experience and expertise out to help them get their start into politics, mm -hmm. to run for their first office mm -hmm. or move themselves up the ladder. Well, I've been fortunate to guide a few that came to me and uh, I've enjoyed it. I enjoy young people and I enjoy seeing the young people come along and uh, finding their niche in life and making a mark on our, on our community. So that, that's a lot of fun to do. But, um, I've had a, I had a lot, the people of Covington County were really good to me, mm -hmm. good, good folks. And I always have loved and appreciated them, and I appreciate the way that they treated me, let me serve four terms in office. Uh, so you retired out, basically, didn't you? Right. I, I was elected to four terms, and I retired midway through my fourth term because Dad was getting old, and by the time I got off work, he was asleep. And the nursing home where I finally had to put him said, if you want to see your dad awake, you have to come in the morning. I said, well, I can't do that. I got court. And um, so I thought, I'm going to retire. That way I can go see him. So, I mean, you know, he was, I didn't want there to be any regrets. I'd been in office 21 years. I knew dad wasn't going to be around much longer. He was in his 90s. I just didn't want there to be any regrets. I loved my dad. And mm -hmm. I yeah, he was spend quite a, a man. Of, yeah. Spend about two or three minutes, if you would, talking about your dad because he he played he played quite an influence in your life. He's a a, a good man, a good businessman, and uh, a a big uh, uh, standout in uh, Birmingham. Well, Dad, uh, I guess you could say Dad was uh, granite and cold steel. Uh, That's a good was, definition, Trudy. He was, was hard-nosed. He came up under the in the Depression, right? And World War II. He was part of the greatest generation. He had a uh, a, a route that he he uh, delivered prescriptions uh, on his bicycle and starting when he was 12 years old and you know one of the neighborhoods he grew up in was rough he took boxing lessons from Tommy Littleton who was a contender for the uh, one of the not the heavyweight but whatever would be under the heavyweight mm -hmm. championship but anyway uh, the dad uh, 
instilled in me hard work. My work, my personality I got from my mom who was sweet. She was smiles, laughter, and lace. Dad was cold steel and granite. <laughs> and, uh, we used to call uh, Vicky uh, leather and and white lace. <laughs> hot lace, did you say, yeah. or no, leather and lace? lace. No, oh, I, white I, lace. Okay, we're inventing okay. that now, the hot okay. lace. All right. I, I guess, uh, I guess the, the biggest uh, thing Dad taught me was um, we either do the job and do it right, or we die while trying. Mm-hmm. And when I was a kid, some of the chores... He made me do. I thought I was going to die well, while right. trying. He never said it in so those familiar. words. He, he never said it in those words. But the point he got across was, "You're going to do it, and do it right, or we're going to die while trying." And he, you know, that I guess that came from his war days or something. <laughs> and I'd think, "But I'm just a little child." <laughs> man, <laughs> he was quite a man. But he was. I mean, I, I always was striving to please him. When I retired, I thought I can't do it without asking Dad's permission. Because <laughs> he invested so much in me. Exactly. And um, so I, you know, I went to. I said, Dad, what do you think about me retiring? He said, Well, you know, if that's what you want to do, he said, I'd still be working today if I could. Mm-hmm. But he said I had a, you know, age sixty-five forced retirement. But he said, if that's what you want, I said, Well, did you get your? You feel like you got your investment out? I'm out. I, I couldn't do it if he said, No, I hadn't gotten it out of you yet. Yep. You know, I'd have kept going. But. And your mom, what we've heard so many wonderful things about her, and obviously. She was very impressive. You have a granddaughter named after your right. mom. Right. My mom was Mary Lyle Davidson McGuire, and just a beautiful lady. Every neighborhood I lived in, she was. I had the prettiest mom, and she was <laughs> just as sweet as could be, and I wanted to marry somebody just like her, and I did. Mm-hmm. And Margaret and I had two beautiful daughters, three beautiful grandkids, the newest one, Mary Lyle, named after my mother. I thought that she, was so sweet. She's a beautiful little... Little girl, I tell you, she's got a special Thank place you. in our heart. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, she really does. Uh, so, to to kind of sum up everything here, uh, I think my one of my biggest questions for for you, Trippy, would be: after raising your family here, and after living your life in Alabama when you could have lived anywhere in the United States that you wanted to live or the world and been successful. You've proven that by what you said today, by telling your story to all the people that are listening to the broadcast today. What are the takeaways that you have, uh, that things that have influenced you the most in living here that have that you take with you now through the rest of your life. Well, one of them is what I just said about my dad: do the job and do it right, or die while trying. Um, another one I learned in law school was preparation is the key to success. You don't have to be brilliant; just be prepared. Uh, a willingness to be prepared and pay the price. It's not it's not the will to win so much as it is the will to prepare. If you prepare, you're going to have the will to win. But first, you've got to have the will to prepare. So preparation is a key to success. That's always been one of my uh, things. Another takeaway, I think, would be uh, it's the little things in life that count. Uh, the extra mile, the extra effort put forth almost as an afterthought can make all the difference in the world. And I've seen that happen in my own life. You know, when I was in 10th grade, uh, uh 
two cheerleaders and a majorette asked me one question, uh, did I know Jesus? And the conversation that ensued from that and the friendship that took place made me to, uh, you know, I made a decision to accept Christ. That drastically changed the trajectory of my life and made me whatever it is I am today. It all goes back to that one question those girls asked me and the decision I made from that. Uh, second would be uh, something a friend told me my junior year in high school that I told such good jokes and I ought to <laughs> sign up for speech class. I was terrified of public speaking. But I was willing to take on a challenge, try and improve myself. So I signed up for speech class, overcame my fear of public speaking, and we took debate for six weeks as part of that. I love that debate. I made a decision in that speech class that I was going to be a lawyer. So you have the one question the girls asked that changed the course of my life, the statement my friend told me a year later about signing up for speech that set me towards an occupation. And the third thing was a statement that my wife-to-be told me the weekend that we met, uh, which was, you better hurry because I'm fixing to move. See, when I met her, <laughs> I met her at a wedding reception, and uh, she was good-looking, and still is. But I thought, ooh, that girl looks dangerous. You know, I'd have to watch his heart with her. And I could tell she was hard to get. And um, anyway, I, I told her, uh, you know, we'd talk. And um, I could feel chemistry. Hopefully she could too. And I said, well, let me, let me have your number. And uh, she was in graduate school at Tuscaloosa. I was in law school in Birmingham. I said, I'll call you sometime if I'm coming to Tuscaloosa to see if you can go out. I was going to wait six weeks because you could tell she was hard to get. And so I was going to make her, I wasn't going to act like I was really that age. <laughs> I was going to make her wait six weeks. But she said that one sentence. She said, well, you better hurry because I'm fixing to graduate. I'll be moving. I thought, gosh, darling, I have to move my schedule up. Can't play hard so, to get. Yeah. Can't be a flapper anymore. So uh, <laughs> anyway, but, you know, I mean, kids say, well, so what if she moved? You talk to her on Facebook. No, you know, when she moved, her phone was disconnected, and there went that number. How would I know where she went? So if she had not said that one little sentence, uh, no telling what would have happened. But those three things, I think, uh, just little things like that, and that's what it takes sometimes. It to turn a life around or to point somebody in the right direction, you never know when something you say is going to affect them the rest of their life. And what these these three instances I've given you, it, that, you know, led me to having a wonderful life. Well, all, I can, say, all I can say is that uh, you've given us uh, all the reasons that uh, you're sitting here are all... Uh, successful reasons and that's why we wanted to do what we're doing here and we did it over what I love and that's sweet tea <laughs> so we had a conversation about success and conversation and uh, topping it off now with uh, our sweet tea which we certainly or I do love it so Vicki you want to uh, say anything else to Trippy before we wrap well, this Well, just thing. thank you, Trippy, for being honest and telling us all about so many adventures. And I know you were only just scratching the surface. And we all want to read the book when you get it all published. So, I've got a uh, new friend, I think, that's going to help me. I think this. you do. Yeah. We're going to bring you back when you publish your book, and we're going to talk about that again. And then we'll probably have other things to talk about. But the little things, the sweet tea... 
the great friendships, and then I love the fact that you give everybody the hope that little things can make big things, and you weren't in a big city, but you took advantage of all the people and the influences that you were around, so thanks for sharing all that today. Love having you with us. Well, thanks for having us. So many lives, you really have. Yeah. It's been amazing to sit here uh, and, and to see how many lives you've touched mm -hmm. over the years. And it's just incredible. Well, thank you. I love kids. They're special to me, and uh, they have enhanced my life greatly. From my two daughters on out from there, I don't know what I'd do without young people. Well, they're uh, definitely uh, the thing that inspires us all. So, uh, And Mary Lyle, now your newest young person, an, yet another inspiration. She is so going to be spoiled. That's we we will count on that. <laughs> I think with a little help from my friends. Yeah, a little help from friends. I guarantee you, she'll be spoiled big time. But thanks for being with us, and it's been a pleasure to have you today uh, on Success and Sweet Tea. And maybe we'll do it again. And glad to. We appreciate you here so much, and thank you for coming, Trippy. It's been a marvelous time yeah. to spend with you. And we'd like to take a minute or two to thank our staff for being with us today. We've got our uh, audio our engineer. We've got our uh, video engineer and our executive producer here with us. And uh, we're so glad to be blessed with a great team of people around us. And uh, we'll get this thing uh, really nice and smoothed out great. And it'll be a beautiful thing. But we appreciate you being here, man. We really do. My pleasure. Thanks for having thank me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining Doug and Vicki for Success and Sweet Tea. To contact their guest, Trippy McGuire, you may email him at trippy.mcguire.author at gmail.com. You can find his latest book at amazon.com. Or you can email us here at successandsweettea at successandsweettea at gmail.com. You may also find us at YouTube, Facebook, and on Instagram. Just search for Success and Sweet Tea. See you next time!